0: Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 22 to the end of the chapter. Um, I'll read the entirety of the passage, pray, then we'll dive into the word uh, together. Um, Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. He, Jesus, went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at that door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will we be weeping, a gnashing of teeth when we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the joy and privilege to gather in your name that we bear the name of, Father, we are your children. God, I, I pray that as we come into your presence, that we would give you glory, honor, and praise. That the things that are in our heart this morning, the things that we brought here, Lord, would, that we would lay aside, that our eyes would be fixed on your glory now. That we would ascribe you all honor and praise. And God, we are aware when we enter into your presence of how unholy we are. How we have done things this past week, Lord not to bring you honor, but to bring you shame. We have not lived up to the calling which you have called us. So God, we pray now through the blood of Christ that you would forgive our sins in him. We do not come to you with our filthy rags of righteousness, but God, we come to you humbly trusting in the death and resurrection for forgiveness of our sins that we may enter the narrow door. Dear God, I pray that you would bless your people, help them feel forgiveness. God, I pray that you would help us reason together. Though our sins were like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Uh, Dear God, I pray um, for those in our congregation, Lord, who are stepping out into that next area of life. We pray for Trent, Lord, as he's going to um, leave uh, the comforts of high school into A new endeavor, God. I pray you would continue to guard His steps. We plan our course, but you direct our steps. So, God, I pray that you would guide and direct him. We pray for Adam and Ellen as they get prepared for marriage, as they embark on a lifetime of love together. And God, I pray that you would just continue to remind them of your glory and how you want to use them uh, together to maximize the glory uh, that you have uh, for them in this life. God, we pray for the preaching of your gospel in this city. God, we pray that your gospel would be preached powerfully all over uh, this county. God, we pray for uh, John Chambers at Remedy. We pray that you would uh, guard him um, from the pulpit, God. I pray that as he speaks, he speaks the very words of God. God, that people would be built up and edified and encouraged. God, we thank you. I thank you for the privilege of speaking to your people, the people that you love, God, the people that I love. So God, I pray now that you would allow um, for the next 30 minutes, distractions to go by the wayside and that our eyes would be fixed on your word. God, I pray that everything that is said and done in this hour would be done to your glory. I pray that my words and the meditations of my heart would please you, would be honoring to you. So God, we make it our aim to, to give you honor and glory this morning. Uh, we pray now that you would um, answer us by your spirit. Show us your grace and your mercy. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Um, it is estimated that between 2 and 6% of the United States population has red hair. I know you don't believe that with all the redheads we have in this congregation, but it is a rare thing to be a redhead. And because it is rare to be a redhead, we redheads are often mistaken for other redheads. This past week, I was teaching at a conference. And after the first session, a woman came up to me and said, you are doing a great job. I heard you last year when you spoke at Hilton Head. I softly replied and said, "Um, no, you didn't, (laughs) ma'am. I didn't teach there last year. She bellowed out, you are a liar. I know I heard you speak last year. It took a few minutes of convincing, and I finally was able to explain to her that we had never met before. Uh, She met someone that looked like me, that talked like me, but she had never met me. She did not know me, and I did not know her. Nothing she could say could change the reality that we had never met No matter what she said, I knew the truth. I did not know her. Sadly, there are many people in churches across America who, like this woman, believe they have met Jesus. But in the reality, he does not know them. They know many things about Jesus. They may may even enjoy his teachings. But on the last day, Jesus will look many people who believe that they have met Jesus, and say, I do not know you. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Beloved, on that day, there will be nothing we can say to change the reality. The reality is not determined by us, but by Jesus Christ himself. He knows his sheep. There are some great passages of assurance in the Scriptures. There are great passages seeped with God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And then there are other passages, passages like we get to this morning that should cause us to pause and to ask, Do I really know Jesus? Or better yet, does Jesus really know me? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So Jesus is exhorting us in this passage that we would test ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. He is pleading with us to walk through the narrow door, the only door of true faith held out by our Lord through His gospel. So I pray this morning you will heed these words of Jesus and strive for the narrow door, which is our first point this morning. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, that first point: strive for the narrow door. Strive for the narrow door. We see there in verse 22, uh, Jesus is continuing his teaching ministry. Uh, he went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journaling toward, journeying toward Jerusalem. This is why he came. Jesus came to preach the good news. We find out earlier in Luke's Gospel, Luke 4, 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The purpose of Jesus was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. But Jesus also lays out some very real challenges, very real warnings. Now listen to the challenges that Jesus lays out in the last two chapters. Here at Park Baptist, we systematically go through books of the Bible so we can't avoid tough passages like this because in the end, you don't want me to tell you what you want to hear. In the end, you want me to tell you what God has said in his word. So in the last two chapters, 12 and 13, Jesus explains these teachings. Listen to what Jesus says, Luke twelve 8 and 9. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied, before the angels of God. Luke twelve twenty and 21. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things your soul is required of you, the things you have prepared for those will be. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Luke twelve forty seven. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will would receive a severe beating. Luke 12, do you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, rather division. Luke 13, 3, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Warning after warning after warning. So someone asks, after hearing all these warnings, Lord, will those who are saved be few? I mean, he lays out a, a very strong command for how God's people should live. So someone asked the question. You may be thinking, Jesus, I thought you were coming to bring the good news. That doesn't sound like good news. It does not look like many people are going to be saved. How can this be true? But Jesus gives us a clue here in the text to help us understand why the intensity of his teaching is increasing. Look at the end of verse 22. It says, towards Jerusalem. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. Remember in Luke nine fifty one, it's the turning point of the whole gospel. And it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Now we know that when he set his face towards Jerusalem, he was setting his face towards death, absorbing the wrath of God on the cross. And even in this section here, six verses earlier, the Pharisees, the rulers of the synagogue, Jesus shames because they were misapplying the Sabbath laws. If they didn't make the cut, if the religious rulers of the synagogue didn't make the cut and they were ashamed, what will happen to me? You see, it's a very natural question. But Jesus says in Matthew five twenty that if I tell, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, And the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the Pharisees trusted in their own righteousness before God. We have to have a greater righteousness than them. And in fact, an altogether different righteousness. Jesus is on a quest towards Jerusalem to destroy a works-based salvation by offering us a different door. So after this question is asked, Jesus responds in verse 23, second half, he says this, and he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. There's two questions we have to ask of this passage. First, what is the narrow door? And secondly, how are we to strive to enter through it? One of the things that you guys re- realize after hearing my preaching, I try to organize my outline many times in the commands of the passage. So, the command of the passage, point number one, is to strive through the narrow door. That is what the text is telling you that you should do when you leave this place. So, we have to ask ourselves what does it mean to strive, and what is the door we are to strive through? So, in order to answer these questions, we have to look at the context of the passage. And we must consider what the Bible says in other places to to help fill out our understanding. So what is the narrow door? Well, the passage doesn't explicitly tell us what this door is. He tells us the purpose of the door and who opens and shuts the door. Jesus mentions the narrow door to answer the question, Lord, Lord, will those who are saved be few? This tells us that the narrow door is necessary for salvation. If you don't go through the narrow door, you will not experience salvation. But it also says in verse 25, who's responsible for opening and closing the door? Look what verse 25 says. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. So Jesus is saying here is that the master shuts the door, the master opens the door. The door is the road to salvation and it is controlled by the Lord himself. And the only way for the door to be open or to be saved is if the Lord knows you. It's a parallel passage from Matthew 7:13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who are who enter it enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Gate and door are used interchangeably. Jesus removes all doubt of what this door is in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. So if you're taking notes, write down John chapter 10, 7 through 11. And let me read it to you. It says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. For I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is very clear. I am the door. I am the way of salvation. I am the only way way of salvation so we see in luke 10 24 jesus says for many i tell you will seek to enter and will not be able that seems like a strange statement to me many are going to try to enter the door but if they try to enter the door wouldn't they be believers in in jesus shouldn't all people who seek be let in does god not save all those who seek him God does save all those who seek him through Christ. But many are, are, are seeking to get to the other side of the door, trying to get into heaven, get into glory, get into that sweet Beulah land, not through the cross, not through Christ, but through their own works, through their own righteousness. People are seeking to enter on the merit of their own work outside of the merit of the cross of Christ. Friend, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from, us, us from God. We are born into this world in sin and outside of the door, outside of the pen. We have been tainted. Now we know this from our own hearts. Even this past week, if I were going to ask you, did you live perfectly this past week? You would say, no, I didn't. We have, we have a tainted soul, a tainted spirit darkened by sin. And the problem is, is that many of us here, many of us here in churches across America, do not believe our sin is that bad. Imagine a beautiful plate of lasagna. All the vibrant colors, the red, the yellow, maybe the little green spinach in there, perfectly melted cheese. Preacher, get done. I'm going to eat, right? This beautiful lasagna. And it was put in front of you. And then I went in the backyard and I picked some of my dog's droppings up and sprinkled it over the lasagna. Would you eat it? No. Why? Because that disgusting dung of a dog destroys the lasagna. It taints the whole thing. The same way our sin taints all of God's glory. We, God can't let us in to glory with sin because then heaven would be tainted and no one would want to be there. So God has to deal with our sin. So he sent his son to deal with our sin. Jesus became tainted and he gave us a perfect record so that we could go to heaven unstained entering into the glory of God if we seek to overcome our sin without the work of the death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be able to enter. This is why Jesus was journeying towards Jerusalem. He was going there to die. He is the gate of salvation. He offered his perfect life on the altar to satisfy God's righteous wrath against sinners. He deals with your sin by becoming sin. That you may become the righteousness of God. He pays the full penalty of our sin. All our disgusting, nasty, shameful sins he paid for with his own life. Because no matter how good people are in this world, they are still tainted. but God overcame the grave. He didn't just die on the third day. God raised him from the dead, giving everybody hope. So now God is knocking at the door. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus will open the door. He will open the gates that you may come in. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Do you hear His voice this morning? Do you trust Him and Him alone for salvation? If you do not truly know Jesus, do not harden your hearts this morning. Give yourself to Christ. Don't trust in your dirty rags of righteousness. Say, God, I can't deal with my sin. I need the sacrifice of Christ he will open the door. So the second question we have to ask, now that we know who the door is, is how do we strive through it? How do we walk through this door? Jesus says, strive. We strive by holding fast to our confession of faith. We fight sin. We do what saints have been doing for 2,000 years. See, our culture of America, we love things that are new. Right? So you get a cell phone. By the time you order your cell phone, it's already outdated. Okay? What's the new thing coming? I want the new thing. Well, how do we grow as Christians? Beloved, there is no new thing. There's a whole lot of old things. You read your Bible. You pray. You worship. You gather with God's people. You sing God's praises. You do that in fellowship of a local church, submitting yourself to spiritual authority, hearing God's Word on Sunday morning. There is no shortcuts. There is no magic pill. We commit ourselves to God in the daily struggle of repenting of sins and trusting in Christ, and we do that in a community of faith. Faith. So we ask God to search our hearts and reveal to us our sin. Where have I wronged you this past week, Lord? Where have I gone astray? The songs we sung this morning. I'm not sure if you picked up on that. There's those two times when it said, "ashamed." I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. We saw it in that first song we sang, "Come now, find every blessing, Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Beloved, we will all face that, that wandering, that drifting. But we are committed to Christ, and we are committed to one another. This is why we love being a church that's over 100 years old because people have stuck with each other for a long, long time. Saying, I'm not going to let you go astray. I'm going to make sure you strive for the narrow door. Trent, that's what your family has done. We're going to make sure that you strive for the narrow door. That's what this church has done over the last 18 years. That is a gift and a blessing. Receive that and rejoice in it. Beloved, that's the gift that we all give to one another. I went Yankee on you there. I spoke a little fast. I do it when I get excited. But we must strive through the narrow door because there's great danger. It's a strong warning if we don't. Listen to what Jesus says about those who trust in another way. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, we taught in your streets, but I will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. If you do not know Jesus, you will not go to heaven. But Jesus says you will go to that place. That place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there's many people there, if you notice it, who, who thought they knew Jesus, they had been around him, they fellowship with him, they ate, they heard his teaching, and yet he said, I do not know you. Friends, having occasional fellowship with the church does not mean you know Jesus. Regularly hearing the teachings of Jesus does not mean you know Jesus. Many people believe that because you were once baptized or raised in a church or that you gave or give money, that you know Jesus. The only way to know Jesus is by faith, not by works. It's an act of faith and a continual belief. So, this morning, do you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust in his work alone on the cross for your salvation that he has secured for you a way into heaven through the narrow door? So, are we following Jesus? Not according to our standards. But the standard of God's word. we've been studying this a lot on Wednesday night about 1 John, that we show ourselves to be true believers how, whether we love one another. Are you loving God's people well? That's a testimony of whether we are truly believers. Um, someone in the church on, on his desk at his office says, "Do you know my Jesus?" Uh, this past week, someone came into his office, was staring at the sign then looked at this man and says, I have a question for you. Does your Jesus or does my Jesus know you? I think it's a better question. We will all stand before God one day, and it's not whether we think we know Jesus, it's whether Jesus knows us. So the question is, does Jesus know you? And if you're not sure, make sure. That's the first point. The next two points are short ones right? We're going to land this plane. We are in the landing phase of the plane, um, of the sermon. Seek those outside the camp. Jesus rebukes those who trust in something other than Jesus as the Jews were doing. But we know this passage is not without hope because no scripture is without hope. Verse 29, the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. This is the great promise that God has given us, that he will gather people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. People from the east, people from the west, people from the north, people from the south, will enter through the narrow door of the gospel. So when the gospel is proclaimed, God will give faith and people will come to Christ. These Jews forgot how the kingdom of God works. It starts small, but then it covers the whole earth as the waters cover the sea as the seas cover the the whole earth. Salvation is open to all. There is no people group and there is no rebellious sinner that is outside the grace of God. God offers salvation to all. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, these Jews did not seek to bring others into the kingdom. They were not the light to the Gentiles. But the true light, the light that gives light to everyone, came into the world. Jesus came to his own people, but his people did not receive him. But all who do receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Beloved, we must rejoice. We must rejoice in the far call of the gospel. We must link our arms together and hold fast to one another that we would not be lost, that we would not go astray, that we would strive together as a church body to enter through the narrow door. And this is what we also must do. We must go outside the camp, outside these walls and and bring people from the east and the west and the north and the south to enter into the narrow road. This is why we exist as a church, to go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to obey everything the Lord has commanded us. That deserves an amen. Because the Lord is that good. Because look at us. Look at us. We were tainted, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And God spoke, He spoke to our hearts, and we believed. We trust in Christ alone, so we are entering in the narrow door. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus because we are striving for the narrow door. He saved us. He will save others. Last point. See the forsaken city. See the forsaken city. It grieves the Lord when those who should know him don't. Those who are walking on the wide road that leads to destruction, not the narrow gate. So let us close with hearing the heart cry of our Lord Jesus. Listen to what he says. At that very same hour, Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish Away from Jerusalem, hear his heart. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who enter it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus longed to gather the Jews. He longed to, to bring them in like a mother hen brings in her chicks. But they were not willing. What we need to see this morning, we need to see that forsaken city so that we don't follow their path. Adonai Judson was the pioneering Baptist missionary in the early 1700s. Uh, he was raised in a Christian home, and then he went off to college. Hear me, Trent? He walked away from his faith. He fell under the influence of a friend, Jacob Eames, who drew Hudson away from the faith with philosophy. Judson eventually became the valedictorian of Brown University, and after graduation, he went on to New York to pursue theater. One day, Judson was traveling through a small village, and he stopped at this small inn He asked for a room, but the innkeeper said, I'm sorry, sir, we only have one room available left, and it is next to a man that is dying. Judson had nowhere else to go, so he he took the room. Um, So all night, Judson sat in his bed, and he heard this man groaning and moaning and crying out. This man was knocking on death's door. Judson couldn't sleep. He was tormented by these cries, he thought, is this man prepared for death? That's really all that matters now. And then he said, Am I? Am I prepared for death? He lay there thinking of eternity, and he could almost hear his friends, Jacob Eames, say to him, Really, Judson, you're this week? Are you really the valedictorian of Brown University Brown University? Spooked by some superstitious stitious religion? The groans. Finally stopped and Hudson drifted off to sleep. He woke up the next morning feeling refreshed. Uh, How could he be tempted by such a a, a, a thought of going to Jesus, abandoning his calling of his friend? Judson went down to the innkeeper and asked about the man. Uh, The innkeeper simply replied, he is dead. Judson looked at him and said, perhaps do you know who he is? And the innkeeper said, oh, yes the young man from the college in Providence. Name was Eames, Jacob Eames. Life changed for Judson in that moment. He saw the end of those who, are, who forsake God. Judson later reflected, lost in death, Jacob Eames was lost, utterly, irrevocably lost, lost to his friends, to the world, to the future, Lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinity of air. If Ames' own views were true, neither his life nor his death had any meaning. But suppose Eames had been mistaken. Suppose the scriptures were literally true and a personal God was real, for that hell should open in that country inn and snatch Jacob Eames, my dearest friend and guide, from the next bed. This could not simply be a coincidence. That day, Judson repented and trusted in Christ. He lived the rest of his life to help others find the narrow door. He went outside the camp to Burma and ended up planting as many as 7,000 churches. Beloved, we must learn from the forsaken city of Jerusalem because we must learn from the forsaken sinners. Christ offers to open the door. He came to give life and life more abundantly. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Will you open it? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the narrow door. God, I pray that you would help us strive through it. Let us take as many people with us as we can. God, help us look to those who turn from God. Help us see their end and help us never follow their path.